And so as we begin the new year, I want to engage a conversation about rhythms. And so we'll be doing this over this, the course of January. And, and so I want to take the time to lead our hearts to think about this. Uh, and, and you, you know, you're probably thinking about things that you want to do this year and dreaming ahead. And there's things in your heart or whether you've planned it all out. Some of you have got it all planned. Um, and so, but I want to lead us towards uh, the words of life that Jesus has. And la last fall, we engaged a series called To Life. And we talked about how Jesus' words are to bring us to life. And so there are rhythms that we engage in as Christ followers that lead us to this and learn to obey the words that Jesus has given us because we know that they are the, the very words of life that will lead us to joy and give us strength to face the hard things that we are encountering and to let him lead our hearts uh, in, in, in many different ways. And so the best way is to establish simple Rhythms. Lasting change comes from the internal struggle and self-discovery in daily and weekly rhythms of experiencing God. And we're going to talk about that this month over the next four Sundays. Now, when I say the word rhythm, when I say the word rhythm, some of you get excited. Like, you love that word. Like, you love to get these rhythms going. And others of you are like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not so sure about that. You know, so one of the reasons why I love my, my wife, Erin, is, and I'm thankful for her, is because she is someone who is pretty consistent in her life, uh, just by her natural. Now, I am certainly consistent in many things in my life, uh, and, but I would say that the default mode for me is not consistency. And so it's just kind of not how I'm wired. I'd like to be more all over the place. Um, but Erin is very much that way. So when she hears rhythm, she gets excited. Um, and I do for a, a day or two. <laughs> so, like, when, you know, so I'm like, hey, I need to do, whether it's, you know, new exercises or uh, some kind of routine, I'm like, hey, let's do this. And I, I want to do this. And my wife is like, great, I'm ready to support you in that. And, and so, you know, she, like, alters, like, I'll start a new, a new weekly rhythm that I'll announce it out loud. And I'll do it for a couple days. And, and so, but for Erin, like, she hears this, it's like we've signed a contract. And she, like, alters her, even her morning routine. I don't even know this is happening. But after being married for several years now, like, I've figured this out. Like, she, like, makes actual changes. Like, we just laid out something and signed it together, which we didn't do. We don't do that. That would be weird. But, but it's, like, it's, you know, she kind of views it that way. She's like, let's get going on this. And so I'll do it for a couple of days. And the third day, I completely forget I even said that. I just start, I just default back to some, you know, my whatever it was. And my wife is like, what happened? What happened? And I'm like, you know, this is a work in progress. <laughs> and, you know, I'm, I'm working on it. Thanks for the reminder. But for her, it's like a violation. Like, <laughs> like, like we got to talk about this. Like, I, I changed the whole schedule around this. I was like, you did? Like, wow. So some of you today, like, we're just so wired differently in how we know our bodies are. So some of you, you hear this, and, you know, you're excited. Others, eh, it's not necessarily your, your nature. So, um, so I just want to say that out loud. And now I've talked you out of rhythms. Um, but it, that's why I say we want to establish simple rhythms. Um, and I think it's important that when it comes to following God, that we, we find a way to be consistent. 
because it brings us to life. And so if you're someone who's more inconsistent and you fall away, just come back, come back, like keep trying and keep doing it. And that's why we need community around us. We need others around us to engage us in this. For me, I've just discovered what helps me stay consistent and push me to that. And it's others in my life helping push me towards that. And so I have people that, you know, will ask me, hey, have you done this? And I'm like, oh, man. And so that helps me be focused. So I've learned what helps push me towards rhythm. Um, but So we need each other. And so there's simple rhythms. But it's not about religion. So religion is basically, you know, there's many ways we could describe it. It's just a, a pers- like it is something telling you what you have to do in order to be okay. But that's what Jesus came to take away, that pressure, that he took the punishment that we deserve, and with him as a Christ follower, we are okay with God. We've been forgiven and set free. We, at our place of admission and our, and our guilt or of our sin and our shame is the very place that he t- took it upon himself and set us free. And so it's about setting us free to pursue him. And so the rhythms, the things that we do are not some habit that makes us okay and some, you know, lamp that we rubbed, uh, you know, and lock all this stuff. It's about engaging a relationship with God. It's about uh, believing in Jesus and obeying his words, knowing that these are the things that lead me to life. To life. And so these are life-giving things. And so the goal for this series is we're going to look at four different habits that you want to establish in your life this year. So as you think about this year, I want to encourage you to incorporate these things. And we'll go through this in our dinner groups. But one is, a, is, a, is, a, is rest. Establish, you start with rest. It's a three-hour technology break, a break from your work, email, everything. And so I, the goal would be eventually to have a full day off. That's like a shocking thing in New York. But it might be hard for some of you, so you start with three hours. Like, you can handle that. Like, I dare you this week <laughs> to turn off your phone for three hours, and I'll see how you survive. It's only three hours, but it'll feel like a long time. It won't be peaceful if you're not used to that. I, I guess it's hard for me. I remember we, my wife and I did it on vacation one year. We just turned our phones off for a couple of days, and that freaked. It was really weird. Um, so we survived. But start with learning to, to rest. And if you've never really done any kind of habit, three hours is a great place to start. Um, engaging in reading scripture, engaging in prayer, we'll talk about prayer, and impacting others, living outwardly, serving. Right now, today, we are um, we're here because several people within our church family have come here early and helped set up everything and get our food ready and the coffee from next door and setting up banners and, and a million cables that are run for our technology to work. We have been loved. We've, we are all impacted right now by how we've been loved by others. And so that is a way that God has made us. If we learn to do these things, we will experience life and joy. So today, I want to start this. So we're going to talk about Scripture. I think this is a fun one to start with because with, with Scripture, we have all kinds of different ideas. And we typically, it's typically been referred to as the Bible. And uh, I, I usually don't say the word the Bible that much because it feels like it's just talking about a book. 
And, and we think about books as something of study and things of that nature, but it's really a story, God's story with us. And so before to t- you know, I talk about how we engage with Scripture, I want to talk about that story. We need to know the story of Scripture and why we have it. And we've, as we've, if you've been around a while, we break it up into the Old Testament and the New Testament, and just that alone sounds like really scholarly. And it, it is, what's fun is it, it can be and is a scholarly type of pursuit, uh, but it's not just that. Like, it is a book of actual history, but that helps us know that it's true and that it's real. So here's some things about Scripture, about the Bible, that maybe you've never heard before. And so some of you are, you know, on a journey towards God, and we hope this is a safe place for you to come and ask your questions of God and pursue this. And so this series, if, even if you don't believe in God, you can begin to practice some of these things and, and, and seek God out through that. So I encourage you, wherever you're at on the spectrum of following him, to, to think about starting some of these things. Uh, so, you know, you and I, you know, now it's an app. So we used to be handed a book. But now we can go, you know, use, use the Bible and app and read the scripture, which is great. Uh, but it is organized in books. But that's not how we got it. It wasn't like some book just appeared out of heaven. It's like, here it is. No, it's been written over time. And so, as Christ followers, everything for us starts with the resurrection of Christ. His resurrection was something to write about. And so, it's a heavily written about event. It's highly unusual. Highly unusual. We have four, four full, it's hard to say, four full written accounts of Jesus' life. We call them, we've called them over time the Gospels. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John four written accounts of his life in full detail. And these, these, these documents have been preserved in full. And we've discovered new and new copies of them. And, and so it's highly unusual. You look at like Shakespeare documents and other things like that, you'll have fragments of things. And we, we refer to a lot of things that are just more fragments. And we, we understand them to be true and real. But you look at the scriptures, it's, it's so complete. It's amazing. And it's heavily written about. That is highly unusual for that, especially that time period. And it helps us to know that it's real. And we, so we have the gospel, and we also have what, a, what a book called the Book of Acts. And it's the written account of the early church. And Jesus predicted the early church and said nothing would stop it. And that was absolutely true. And you see it take off after his death and resurrection. This new movement takes off, and it's amazing. And so Acts is this written account of what happened of what happened. And actually, before any of those five books or letters or documents were written, we have 1 Corinthians, which was a letter to one of these early churches written by Paul. We call him the Apostle Paul. He's one of the early missionaries sent out by Christ. And so this letter is, makes it really, really hard to disprove the resurrection because only 15 years later, 15 to 20 years later, we have this written account. And Paul was talking about the early rhythms of this church, of of practicing communion. And and then talking about the resurrection and talking about how there were hundreds and hundreds of people who saw the resurrection. Because of the Roman world and the, the way you could travel, he's like, they're still alive. He says, you can go talk to them right now. 
and making these unbelievable statements that if they were false or they were not true, it would never have been allowed to come out and, and, and stay this, that whole time because of the intense persecution. And so we have these incredible written accounts that were very early, and it makes it very hard to explain if you're trying to disprove these things. So these, these, this is what we call the New Testament, these written accounts. And for the first 300 years, the early church was persecuted heavily. And they, and they were writing these letters, and they were having to hold them. And the entire the Roman government, they were, they were absolutely all out trying to, to destroy every one of these documents and put to death all the church leaders. And so they would hide these letters. They would keep them safe. Many people gave their lives. Entire families gave up their lives in horrific ways over hundreds of years in pursuit of this. And not only that, during some of this persecution, the church was exploding across the Greco-Roman world. It's amazing. And then around that time, about 300 years later, uh, the wife of the Roman emperor became a Christ follower, and eventually the Roman emperor did. And the very thing, it all flipped. The very thing that was trying to persecute them then was saying this is okay. And for the first time in hundreds of years, they could actually come out in hiding and openly in front of people begin to talk about scriptures and begin to put them together. And so it was, it, was, it was 300 years before we actually have what is compiled to be our New Testament scriptures. Isn't that interesting? And so we now have something where you can go to and read. But for many people, the early churches, it was, they, they, the documents would spread around and they would read them. But it was the resurrection of Christ, what, what, what was the, hearing that proclamation and finding that life in him. The church exploded. It's incredible. And so between, that's just the New Testament. But with the Old Testament, we have, between the two, we have an integrated message. And not just thematically. Between the two, we have 66 separate written documents, books, written by 40 different authors over thousands of years. And it's unified. Now, there are things, you know, that you can look at, and, and it seems like it doesn't line up, but it does, in, in unbelievable ways. You see 400 years before Jesus came, a, a written, written prophecy of what would happen. It was fulfilled in detail. It's pretty amazing. And then we see in the beginning, in all this scripture and this story, the written account of how we believe the world was created. And one of the most significant things is that we were created in God's image. That we look like Him. And that God is a relational God. And it's so important because it means that you have value. And this is different than every other religion. And so any sense of values and morals that we have in our world can be traced back to that. Isn't that interesting? Like, it, it's really tough. Like, if you, if you start asking questions in school, it's like, well, why should we treat other people nicely? <laughs> like, you should love another person. You should have respect for different cultures and race and all these different things. Well, why? Why should I care about my neighbor? I w not just care about me. And if you keep asking, you're like, well, that is interesting. Why, you know, where did that, <laughs> like, and if you want to go real deep with this, like you start reading C.S. Lewis and other, other people who think really deeply, it's just like, 
that idea should never even been there. If we just evolved out of nothing, like it should, that idea couldn't have been just something had to give that to us that you are valuable. And it and it goes back to this, the beginning in Scripture we read. We are created in God's image, and you matter, and you are valuable. It's amazing. When we say we should love one another, it comes from God giving that to us. And so you have this story arc. And the Old Testament is the account of a nation, Israel, and its people, and God beginning to engage us in our sinful nature and, and restoring us. And it was a story leading to, ultimately, a man named Jesus. From this nation to a man coming to redeem and rescue us. And the Creator became this man and taught us about Himself. And He began to show us that we could not do it on our own. We could not save ourselves, that we've messed it up, that He didn't leave us there. Instead, he took the punishment on himself instead so that we could be free if we believed in him. He gave us our free will, and we messed it up, but he came to redeem us. So God's plan of redemption and restoration through Christ was there from the beginning, and we can see it in this story. And so the Christian faith starts with Jesus coming and his resurrection and sets it off in this new journey, and it's just it's never stopped since. That's like a super fast overview of what we see in Scripture. But I, I, it's so important to hear some of these things because, number one, we know it to be true. If you try to disprove the resurrection, it's a fascinating journey that can bring you to faith and to belief. And so then, if I can get these right, my iPad's broken, sorry. <laughs> I'm not used to being in the, anyway. So when you engage and read Scripture, it's helpful to know some of these things because then it's not about just trying to do something you're, you're supposed to do, but you're, you're reading something that's living and breathing and these words that are to us. And so you have the gospel accounts of Jesus' life that we hear Jesus' words, and it's amazing how much we get out of that even now. It doesn't matter how many times you read because it's the words of life. It's the words from God to us. And it speaks to us and it shows us why he made us and why we live and our purpose. It shows that we've been made to be eternal. All these things that are so important to us that are in you deeply that you seek out. So that's what scripture is. And so it's also important to know what it is not. And scripture is not this magic genie lamp where you like, all right, I'm going to flip to something, and God, I need help with my job today, or this relationship, what's the answer? Like the magic eight ball. And it's like, everything will happen as according to plan. You're like, all right, you know. But we kind of want God to be that way. But it's also the very, like you see other people who are religious saying these things out loud, and, and you're, we're pretty skeptical in this city, and it's like, I don't, know about that. So while we would like it to be that way, we also are highly skeptical when we see others living it out that way. And so it's not this, this magic genie lamp thing. It's not a place to just store up a bunch of knowledge about God. You can, but it's, if you don't actually turn that into actions, it's pointless. And the scriptures actually speak to that. It's fascinating. And it's also not this list of rules 
if you do this or don't do that, you're going to get struck by lightning. <laughs> it's, it's, it's showing us how to live and to be obedient. But we think so many times of following God, whether am I okay or not okay. No, it's about leading us to life, learning to trust God and follow Him and obey. And so, that's what it's, what it's and so I want to bring you two words of Jesus. So, with all that said, I want to read out of John 15. And this is Jesus speaking, and John's, John's account of Jesus' life is a great place to start in reading Scripture if you've never read before. Uh, because John is showing us who Jesus was, that he was the Son of God. And so, John records this incredible words of Christ. And Jesus uses the analogy of a grapevine, which has been common in that area of the time. So here's what Jesus says. He says, I am the true grapevine, and my Father is the gardener, his Father being God. He cuts off every branch of mine that does not produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I remain in you. And I love, I, there's another translation. This is written in Greek. And this word remain can also be translated as abide. Maybe you've heard that before. But I love that phrase, abide in me. And I will abide in you. And Jesus was always calling us to a relationship with him. This is what brings us to life. You were made to know him. And so he says, abide in me and I will abide in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. And this shows an active purpose that God is doing in us and through us. And there's nothing like seeing him use you to work in your life and seeing him produce fruit in your own heart, in your own life. There are things, there are sinful habits and our sinful nature that God is working on. And there's this purpose of having us here now and engaging him. And so that's the life that you and I are invited into. And some of you are like, I don't know if I really believe that, but you're invited on that journey to see if that's true. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Now, in New York, we don't like that because we can do a lot on our own and we're really good at it and you're highly functional. And this is a part of the gospel that is kind of offensive. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You are limited. You are not God. And in our hubris and in our, in our you know, big egos and our great knowledge that we've accumulated in science and technology and progress, we think we know a lot. And we do. And so that's offensive. But we are limited. We're not actually God. People talk about how even atheists pray <laughs> if they get stuck in situations where suddenly the hum our humanity is revealed. Like you're in a shipwreck and you've got no way out. People say every, every, every single time you pray. Because you're suddenly 
faced with humanity. When we had Hurricane Cindy, Sandy hit the downtown Jersey City neighborhood, Jersey City as a whole, New York region, we, it was fascinating because like the whole city lost power, some, some areas for weeks, and we freaked out because all the comforts were taken away. We were suddenly faced with our humanity that we couldn't fix this problem no matter how much money we had, and it was amazing to see that. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. Now, we're talking about the genie lamp. When we're in tune with God, we're asking according to his will. That's a whole conversation. But he longs to see these desires to come true. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. Now keep it there. Jesus did everything that God the Father had asked him to do. He did everything. He lived everything out as an example. And so we think of following God's commandments of his burdensome, as these rules, and he's going to make you become like Mother Teresa, and all these different things, wherever, you know, but it's actually a joy to abide in him. And that's the relationship that we're invited. He's calling us to this unified relationship with God. So then he continues, I have told you these things so that, why? So that you will be filled with my joy. This is talking about a deep joy where we know we're, we're secure with God. We are satisfied in him. And, and the pursuits of everything else that we're trying to make fulfill our lives that can't actually do it, he's the one who can. So yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. And we'll end it there. There's so much more that we could read. So we want to learn to abide in Him. This is the relationship that you and I are invited into when it comes to Scripture. And Scripture is a way that we can hear God's Word to us, things that we know, and then live them out. So how do you do that? How do you abide? All right, so I'm going to take us through ABCs. It's a new year, okay? Got a lot in our minds. So we're going to break this down to A, B, C, D, E, okay? Really, really simple, all right? We got our kids' classes going on upstairs, and uh, we're just going to join them in a simple pursuit. So the first thing is this. How do you engage in Scripture? The purpose of Scripture, one is to abide. We just talked about this. Connect to your heavenly Father. Abide. He loves to comfort you. For the lonely and the broken and the hurting and the outcast, like all those wherever you're at when you have these burdens, come to him. He loves to engage you in this. What's amazing is we have this, Jesus says, I am gentle and lonely. His, his heart for us is, is amazing to think about. And so he loves to come and be with you. And he is not afraid of the darkest places. So we would, we would think that in our, you know, and if, you're, if you're honest about who you are, you know that there are dark things that you hide. And those are the things we typically run away from God. Is, but, 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 but God is not afraid of the dark places that we have. He's the only one who can really lean into that and not be 
like turned off in the way that you and I are. And so we invite him in and let him speak into that and comfort us, give, give wisdom. He speaks, John 15, 4, where Jesus says, remain in me and I in you. Jesus also says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. James 1, 5 says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. We seek him out. We abide. A. B. Believe. You are called to believe. You are given a free will. You can believe in God or not. To follow him is to be in life and to walk away from him is, is to not. John 20, 31, John says, These words are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing him, you will have life by the power of his name. You are called to believe. You are made to belong, to be a part of God's family. It's how you are made. And you are, some of you are maybe seeking that out today. Called to believe, and believing is, is trusting in his words that they are true, and we follow. So we abide, we believe, and the scripture also corrects. It convicts our hearts. Scripture should and will challenge you. God is on this journey of, of, of your heart and leading you towards these things of life. And so this part of Jesus' words we just read where he's like, yeah, I prune you. I break off the branches that don't bear fruit, and even the ones that do I break off because it will produce even more fruit. If you've ever done any type of gardening or trying to get a plant to live, you, it's important that you do these things. And so you, maybe you've cut down a tree or something or a bush. Uh, it seems strange in the city, but some of you have grown up in a place where you can do this, and it grows back even better sometimes. It's amazing. I can't stand it when I'm being pruned because it hurts. It actually hurts. And so sometimes reading Scripture is painful, and allowing others to speak into your life that God sends can be an answer to prayer, but it's not the one that you are always seeking out. But we're learning to seek this out. Proverbs 10, 17 says, people who accept discipline are on the pathway to life. But those who ignore correction will go astray. This is something that is part of, of following God that he's clearly called us to. That there, we are admitting that there is a way in us that's destructive and that I need correcting. It's why we parent our children it's why we discipline them. We don't punish our children. We discipline them out of love because we're correcting them toward life. And our Heavenly Father does the same thing. And so going back to Jesus' words in John 15, 2, he cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. Scripture corrects us and leads us to life. And then now we abide, we believe, we allow it to correct. But Scripture is also a defense of your heart. It protects you. In the Psalms, it talks about we hide his word in our heart. 
Psalm 119, it says, I have tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I praise you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. And this would seem crazy. This is like we hear that word decree is teach me your rules. But this is someone who's found life in the words of God. And help me put these in my heart that you can protect me from the things that I regret. Psalm 1 says, Oh, the joys of, of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the, of the, of, of, of the Lord, which means the words of God, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along a riverbank, bearing fruit in season. Those are words of life. So hopefully this changes your view a bit. When you're reading Scripture, it's calling us to life. There are things that you long to be, like there are things that get in the way. And I, we love to see things change in our job, and, and, and whether those things work out or not, there's something about being able to be secure in our Heavenly Father that we know will be okay. Because we live in a world where things don't work out, and that's tough for the Western world. God doesn't always come to make everything work out, but he came to let us know that we do have peace, no matter what the circumstances are. And that is huge. We abide and we delight, and, and then our scriptures defend us, defend our hearts from ourselves. It's so important. And then they encourage us. A, B, C, D, E. Last point. If you're keeping score, I'm at the end. Galatians 6, 9 says, So let's not get tired of doing what is good at just the right time. We will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. If we don't give up. Scriptures encourage you. Hopefully today this can be encouraging to you. You have this resource that you can go. Okay, so what do you do? Do you spend 10 hours a day reading Scripture? No, you start simple. How to engage. Number one, real quick, get, you can get the Bible app on your phone. I believe you just search version, And these are the Scripture uh, languages that I, translations that I encourage you to use. NLT, NIV, or ESV. The Bible app. You can do... Uh, Study Bibles, we can help you with this. We'll be putting these through our dinner groups. You can ask for some resources. Or just simply read a book of the Bible and reflect on the passage. Read and write about it. That's number three here. You can start with the Gospel of John or start with Ephesians and read a passage and think about what it says. So read and reflect. You can do very, very simple. Start with five minutes a day. Start with ten minutes a day. That's attainable, and you might actually do that. I, I always encourage people to start with something so easy that you know you can do it. It's more than you've ever done. If you read five minutes of Scripture a day over the course of 365 days a year, that's a lot of minutes. Don't be afraid to start simple. On the Bible app, you can pick a reading plan. There's all these great resources. Or there are guides that you can use. You can listen to it. I used to ride my bike to work, and I would just play, hit play. And it was cool. I, I love that. On the subway, 
There's all kinds of things. Seek us out. We'd love to point you to this. Find a way to engage with Scripture in a simple way, a weekly rhythm. Start with one day a week. Whatever that takes, it will lead you to life. Let's pray together. Father, we love you so much. We thank you for your words to us, the story that you have shown us that is still alive and happening today, just like you said it would. I pray that we would find a way this year to engage in Scripture and that your love for us would come through, that we would experience you. Father, we need you in our world. We are limited. Our world is, is, is in chaos. It doesn't know how to figure this out. But you are not afraid of that or thrown off by it. And I pray that we would draw from your strength the security that we have in you always. Thank you, Father, for this. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.